Welcome to the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we bring you the best guests in all of true crime. What's up, STS Nation, and welcome to another episode of Surviving the Survivor, the podcast that promises to bring you the very best guests in all of true crime. And I am getting a little loopy. Second show of the day, just saw you guys... 32 minutes ago, and somehow in uh, that small window of time, one of our cameras decided not to act up. So uh, once again, the tech headaches that I endure, uh, I think, will never end. Uh, I should have been born into a horse and buggy era like my beautiful mother, Carm, right there, who I write about in her book. Went from horse and buggy to AI all in one lifetime, and uh the secret is she prefers horse and buggy, and I think so do I. So uh, this case gets crazier and crazier, and I'm going to introduce you to our best guest in a moment. But attorneys for a man accused of killing two teenage girls six years ago in Delphi, Indiana, they filed a lengthy and at times bizarre motion for a hearing claiming the girls were killed by cult members. And uh, double murder suspect Richard Allen has no ties to those religious groups. Uh, that was a 136-page memo we discussed last time. Of course, the victims in this case, Abigail Williams, 13, and Liberty German, 14. Uh, they are the two at the epicenter of this case emanating out of Indiana. Now, a judge says suspect Richard Allen is safe in jail because his defense team said he was not. Uh, because of Odin cult, uh, cultists, we'll discuss that uh, as well. And now, even more, uh, a, a, an even more bizarre turn of events um, as we delve into this twisted case. Joined once again by Bob Mata, he is partner with Chicago criminal defense uh, firm of Mata and Mata. His father. Uh, Defended John Wayne Gacy. I found that out when I met Bob at CrimeCon. Bob is an all-around great guy. Uh, he does it all on the legal front. And, of course, he is host of the Popular Defense Diaries podcast. You see that over his beautiful wife's left shoulder. She is Allison Mata, a partner at the Chicago Criminal Defense uh, and Kane County family law firm of Mata and Mata as well. Uh, she has experience and knowledge in undercover sting operations and joint task force investigations, uh, which are invaluable in prep in uh, preparing and presenting uh, her defense cases. And then if you haven't met her yet, Jonna Spillbore, she doesn't hold back and I love it. Uh, she's a popular and outspoken attorney, a columnist, a legal analyst. She appears regularly on Fox News Channel, the Fox Business Network, other television networks. Uh, she is the resident legal expert taking questions and having fun every Thursday morning on the number one morning radio show in New York's Hudson Valley, WPDH 1015. FM. So uh, a lot of media savvy people here uh, today. Um, for those of you who are not that familiar with the case, let's take a quick look at a bit of background. Here we go. On STS, victims are most important. So we begin with them. Liberty German, 14. Abigail Williams, 13. Abby and Libby were best friends in eighth grade when they went for a walk and disappeared from a popular trail in Delphi, Indiana, back on February 13, 2017. Sadly, they were found dead in the woods the next day, Valentine's Day 2017. It took nearly five years before police arrested the man they say committed the horrific double murder. He's Richard Allen, a 50-year-old who lived in Delphi, 
is a father himself and worked at CVS. He was charged with two counts of murder entering a not guilty plea. When interviewed by police back in 2017, Allen said he was on the trail on the afternoon of the murders. Police found critical evidence on Abby's phone, which had a 43-second video showing her walking toward Libby while a man wearing a dark jacket and jeans walks behind her. The man can be heard ordering the girls down the hill, according to an affidavit. Delphi murder suspect Richard Allen eventually confessed to killing the two girls at the center of the double homicide case. He did that in recorded jailhouse calls. Police located a 40 caliber unspent bullet at the crime scene, the same caliber gun found at Richard Allen's home when a search warrant was executed. Authorities believe a knife was used in the crime, but now Richard Allen's defense team claims they have the wrong man and the girls were actually sacrificed as part of a ritual cult killing. There you have it. That was my voice when I was under the weather. I sound like James Earl Waldman right there. Um, Bob Mott, I got to start with you on this. So now the latest uh, bit of news is that there have been leaked crime scene photos, which is just disastrous all around. Um, You had to be surprised by that. But how surprised were you knowing what was going on in this case already? Well, I mean, I'm not shocked. Like there had been leaked crime scene photos earlier in the case. So I wasn't stunned that it happened again. Uh, you know, the thing with these leaks, it's nobody's seen them other than a couple, three people, I think. The murder sheet, uh, they, they state that they saw them, that they were sent to them and a couple other people. So I'd call it more of a drip than a leak. Uh, you know, it didn't make it out to, to the public. It doesn't seem beyond those three, three people, which I'm, I'm very happy about, you know, the real question becomes, uh, because there's been allegations that they were leaked out of Baldwin, one of the defense attorneys, not his office per se, but his former investigator, one of his investigators, one of his former employees, who's now unfortunately passed uh, by his own hand from what I hear uh, is the person who leaked the information. So allegedly, like I, I just haven't seen any proof that it actually happened. I know people are saying it happened. So I'm, I'm I, I guess that it happened, but you know, I mean, the judge is certainly going to have to deal with it. You know, I mean, any allegation uh, of a defense attorney or part of his staff uh, leaking information in a in a case that has been gagged like this um, is problematic, you know, and you worry about a couple of things. One, uh, first and foremost, sanctions, and the, the most severe being that one or both attorneys is removed from the case, you know, which to me is, would be way over the top. I, I mean, the, the defendant has a Sixth Amendment right, uh, choice to private counsel, uh, the counsel of his choice, and based on the fact that that these didn't seem to make it out to the public at large, um, you know, I, I think has to be taken into account. And beyond that, I, I would expect to see if the judge were inclined to remove Baldwin, saying that this happened on his watch, that the judge would have to require some kind of proof that Baldwin had given direction Uh, for somebody to leak these photographs, which when you're thinking of kind of the memo and in conjunction of why in the world would he do that? 
it doesn't really make any sense. Um, not to me, at least it, it doesn't, it doesn't help their cause to leak photos because they're getting enough pushback on the Odinism angle as it is. You know, uh, I think that the Odinism angle ended up clouding what were some pretty strong facts in there that, that, you know, by all accounts came from the discovery that was tendered to them by the state, you know, and that got buried in a hundred pages of Odinism instead of just kind of saying, Hey judge, we've got this background on these guys that seem to practice this Norse pagan, you know, some version of this North Norse pagan uh, religion. And, you know, it, it, it appears that the crime scene that somebody was trying to mimic that, um, you know, when you have a situation where, man, uh, I don't, I don't know how it's going to play out, but the extreme would be that she boots Baldwin off the case. I don't think she'll take both off, but I think Baldwin might be in a little peril. Uh, that is Judge Gull, and uh, Odinism is a reference to uh, a cult group, which the defense claims uh, actually committed these crimes in that 136-page memo. This is a, a tough case to just dive into if you don't know all the particulars. Uh, Underachiever, that should be my screen name. I'm upset that you uh, stole it. Uh, Allison Bob, I'm two hours directly south of Delphi, going to try to take time off in 2024 to get up to the courthouse and try to sit in. You two have given most excellent coverage on this case. Um, to you, Allison, what, what stands out to you most at this juncture with this particular case? I mean, at this juncture, what stands out to me most, I think, is, and it's sort of like double-sided because you've got the defense making this like outrageous, you know, assertions as far as what the crime scene looked like, what it speaks to, all of those things. And even taking off all of the, you know, exaggerations or fluff, it's at a bare minimum, you have to assume that that crime scene looked something like what the defense is describing. And to me, that speaks of a ritualistic aspect. And now that doesn't mean it was really a sacrifice, but it speaks to the people being involved in the murders, having that knowledge base, being involved in that, in that, uh, type of practice or following or whatever the case may be. Um, but then on the, on the flip side, you have the state, what I keep referring to as doubling down after this motion was filed. So remember the crux of this motion is supposed to be attacking the probable cause for the warrant to do the search. Uh, as you mentioned in your, in your summary, they found that, uh, casing, and then they searched the house and found a weapon at the house. So it's the probable cause for that search saying that it wasn't accurate. Those were That was one aspect of the motion, that it wasn't accurate, that witnesses had, <clears throat> you know, stated something different than what the, the prosecution was putting in the motion. So after that motion was filed in a motion requesting um more records and a subpoena directed at the jail, the prosecution again included all of that same information. So that's what I call sort of doubling down saying, uh, you're telling me, you think I was dishonest before? Well, here you go, I'm doing it again. So sort of the prosecution's way of saying, nothing that we have said has been misleading, false, or a misrepresentation. So <clears throat> those two things stand out to me um, to be the most strongest and what 
you know, I'm going to be very interested to see how that reconciles itself. And uh, here are the uh, two young girls at the center of this horrific crime, uh, Libby German, Abby Williams. Uh, this is why we are discussing this case here. Uh, Felicia, Jonna, to you, uh, and um, Bob was just sort of talking about this. If the defense team is changed out due to this leak, would this restart everything they did, or would they pick up where the last team left off? And then I want to get into some of the details. By the way, very quickly, Bob is ditching us for Court TV at 750. Hey. Just, for the, just for the record, I was asked to do Court TV, and you know what I said? Got my own show. Can't do it. <laughs> there you go. And uh, But who needs Bob when I've got Jonna and Allison? So buzz off, Bob. Go ahead, Jonna. Tell, tell Vinny I said hello. And this is this is a good question because, number one, I agree with Bob that I think it's really doubtful that private counsel or his chosen counsel would get booted off a case even for something like this, because it was a very controlled drip. And I, I like that. I like that instead of leak. It was a very controlled drip. So I doubt that would happen. But if it did in real life, how it would play out is incoming counsel would either have to represent to the judge that they can get up to speed really quickly and hit the ground running, or more likely than not, they would say, look, you know, this is a really complicated case. We're just coming in. We need more time. A judge would give them that time to acclimate themselves with the case. So the answer is yes and no. They would be able to come in and get the file, review the file, and they'd probably reset some of the dates that have already been set to give new counsel time. But I don't think I don't think the case is going to go there anyway. Hmm. Um, Allison, do you are they going to put this trial on TV? It was actually one of my last questions, but Wanda uh, is asking of it, uh, asking it. So I'm going to ask it of you. Uh, does this ultimately get literally gagged all the way through the trial where we don't see any of it? Or do you think it will uh, make the court TVs of the world? I, I think there will be some version of it televised, whether that be <clears throat> live during the day or something similar to what they did in the Murdoch trial. But you know, the whole point of an open courtroom and being open to the public, I think that they they really have no basis not to open it to the public. But that being said, we did see that, you know, the way they handled it in Murdoch create a very big issue for the witnesses who have not yet testified as far as sequestration of the witnesses, where the witnesses are not supposed to know what's going on in the courtroom. So publicizing it the way that that is being done in cases all over the country does create this issue where it's very easy for a witness to get online and to figure out what other witnesses testified to and how to sort of spruce up their testimony or avoid, you know, avoid certain pitfalls or make up for something someone else might not have. But all that being said, I guess, was a long-winded answer for, nonetheless, I still feel there'll be some some version of it <clears throat> televised. Uh, Bonnie Lee Lopez coming to us from a chilly Vermont. Those beautiful girls' autopsy photos are leaked, question mark. These are crime scene photos. There's just too much pain in this world and too many murders that go without justice. You can say that again. Um, and then this question from Ski Hat Sarah, who's got her ski hat back on. Bob, for you, how is it possible that Richard Allen was on the trail and it took this long to figure it all out? You know, if you remember, they questioned him back in 2017. His arrest was a year ago uh, this month, last October uh, 2022, but uh, would you like to take a shot at this question, Bob? Well, I mean, the, the 
easiest answer is incompetence by law enforcement. I mean, Dan Doolin, the guy who the resource officer that took Allen's statement back in 2017, either the day that the girls went missing or the day after, one of the two, uh, who then, like I think three days later, is standing up at a press conference uh, where they're they're divulging the bridge guy video. All right, now I, I want you to try to to wrap your mind around this concept that the guy who took a statement from a guy who said, "Hey, I was out on the bridge that day around this time. This is what I was wearing," is standing with the rest of the sheriff's department up there while they're putting this video out that we all know at this point, the bridge guy video. And it doesn't dawn on him that two days ago, I spoke to a guy (laughs) who said that he was wearing the same things as this guy was. And he said that he was at the bridge at the time that the, the girls were supposedly out at the bridge. It doesn't, the answer is, I don't know. I I honestly don't know. Uh, It's one of the biggest things that gives me pause about whether or not they have the right guy because when it goes from that where they had that that exact evidence it reminds me of Hewerman how they had the the first generation avalanche and it was green and they had the ogre and then years go by with really no new evidence yeah they got the the DNA off the pizza box but they essentially had the same thing back then it's kind of the same thing here and there's you know talk about leaks there's been a lot of leaks about evidence that was not gathered at the crime scene by uh, by law enforcement, which, look, when this goes to trial, all this stuff is coming out. If you don't think that Rozzy, if you don't know by now that that guy's, that guy's here to play and that he's coming to this case hard, I don't know what to tell you because he is. And if you don't think he's going to be attacking this investi- the investigation or the lack thereof, you're going to have an eye opener because he's going to be going at it hard you know, it, it's just one of those things that to me is inexplicable. And when I have a situation where my mind can't figure out what was going on with law enforcement when they had this evidence, then it it, it concerns me. And then when you double up with the fact that I, and people could take what they want from the, the defense's memo, I, I just need to be abundantly clear so that people understand this. The evidence that they talk about when they're talking about statements from these four individuals that they name in there, whether they're involved or they're not, all come from police reports. This isn't stuff that the defense is making up. People seem to be under the misconception that the defense is just making this stuff up. Everything that they came up with came from evidence that was tendered to the defense by the state, which was given to the state by law enforcement. So I, I just need people to understand that. I've seen comments in there, you know, oh, Richard Allen's as guilty as guilty could be. I, I don't know what people are basing that on because the only thing that we've seen in terms of evidence against Richard Allen is that PCA. And anybody who thinks that that guy is 100% guilty based on that PCA, I don't want on my jury ever because it's the it's the thinnest PCA I've, I've seen in a long time in a high-profile case. If you compare that to the Idaho 4 PCA or the Rex Hewerman bail application, which had they not indicted him, that would have been the probable cause affidavit. There you can see incredibly powerful PCAs where there's a ton of evidence that links somebody to the crimes. Richard Allen's doesn't have that. 
you know, and, and the, so it's like, I, I just wish they would have stripped all the, the paganism stuff out because what got lost in that is the fact that all I care about is justice for the girls and you can only have justice if the right person or persons is convicted, period. It's the only way it works. It doesn't mean that somebody gets convicted that we have justice. It means that they have to get the right person. And when I see that kind of evidence come forward from the defense, which you typically do not see, that's why people are so shocked. The defense usually stands mute because we have to, because we're, we're shut down pre-trial. You know, it's usually the state who gets their word and their theory out, which is all a PCA is. They weren't there. Nick, Mc, Nick, Nick McClellan wasn't there. The cops weren't there when it happened. They have evidence and they came up with a theory. And that's typically in every case is what the public sits on. And that's what they digest while it takes two to three years to get to trial. And then people sit there and they base their opinion only on that, hearing one side of the story, a story which is just that, a story, a theory, and it's nothing more until that evidence gets tested at trial. So, I mean, we'll see how it plays out. And uh, that's why it's called defense diaries and not prosecutors diaries. Uh, the man is a defense attorney and um, making the claim that we don't know that Richard Allen is necessarily guilty, at least not yet. Uh, Janie Lane says, I agree. It makes no sense at all. Uh, this leak does not benefit the defense in the least. Uh, special shout out to Tali coming to us from Tel Aviv, Israel, uh, obviously going through a lot of things there, getting even uglier today. So uh, and shout out to McSpunky here. Uh, he is the gift giver. He is the Santa Claus, if you will, of STS Nation. This guy is always giving out uh, memberships. Uh, and I was calling him MC Spunky till I figured out that little C meant Mix Monkey. So uh, <laughs> there you go. And then uh, go Ali Mata from Charlotte Perkin. I don't see that for Bob, but I'll leave that be. Um, yeah, uh, Jonna, to you. So let's dig into this a little bit. So these crime scene photos that were uh, leaked were uh, in the area where both obviously uh, Libby and Abby were found dead. Um, the story is interesting. So there is a guy named Kevin Greenlee who hosts a podcast called The Murder Sheet, I believe it's called. Um, and he says that he was sent these images. Um, he and a, a, a woman named Anne Kane, or Anne Kane, if I'm saying it's spelled A-I-N-E, they received photos from this source who then asked them to contact police, which they did. Uh, this guy, Greenlee, happens to be an attorney himself. Um, I am not an attorney, but it is very troubling to me to think that... Um, these crime scene photos have, from what we know, reportedly been leaked to the public en masse. Um, what does that do to this case? Oh, God. You know, where do we start? Because I, we have to go under the assumption that the crime scene photos are actual crime scene photos, number one. And if I can just, I, I, I want to add something to what Bob was saying earlier. Nobody listening to this podcast, nobody on this podcast wants this murder of these two innocent little girls to go unsolved. But I think we're a long ways away from a conviction. And it's interesting to me because do strong cases, and this is going to come out wrong, strong cases don't need leaks. Right. I mean, I, I think historically, if we look when cases are leaked and it's all salacious, especially in this day and age when it's so easy to leak. I mean, we are in a digital age. You press a button, you leak. 
you know, why does that happen? What is the motivation for that to happen? Is it because somebody wants 15 minutes of fame? Is it because somebody thinks justice is not being done? Is it because somebody is sort of a whistleblower thinking that, uh, you know, behind the scenes, something nefarious has happened? Who knows? We do not know. But I will say this. It is a clever defense, if this has anything to do with the defense, to leak photos like this because it te- if they're genuine, it tells us one thing. This was not a typical murder scene, right? I mean, you have it almost like 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 the girls were staged. Their bodies were positioned in these in, in these strange positions. There was some clothing missing. There were branches on them that were not really intended to cover up a body. I mean, you can still see that these were poor little girl dead girls. So what is the point of this if they are genuine? It does give pause and it certainly it certainly plays into this some other dude did it defense, this third party, this you know, the Odinism cult is responsible for this. It does play into that. So it's interesting in the court of public opinion that all of a sudden people who might be ready to say, this guy did it, even though there's very little evidence so far to to support that. It does give pause for people to go, wait a minute. Oh, wait, this weird cult thing? Is there something to it? I mean, that that's my initial take on, on these leaks. And uh, that's why I love John. Some other dude did it defense. Um, I'm going to uh, coin that phrase. Abby Tahahaha, friend of the show here. Um, how would the leak affect both the state and the defense? Uh, Allison, we talked about it possibly helping the defense because it just you know muddies the waters even more but what does this do to the state's case i mean i don't think that it that it hurts the state's case and you know to jana's point which is also to like my initial point the description of the crime scene in that memo that you spoke of and basically the way jana just described it I have to believe it looks something like that because they went through painful efforts to describe it. So it's it's no matter what else they said that may if someone wants to call fluff, exaggeration, whatever. I suspect the crime scene looks precisely the way it is being described. And, you know, at this point, it's already been it's already been out that that's what the crime scene looks like. People don't need to see it, to see horrific details to to know that. So technic typically horrible pictures of two innocent girls is not helpful to the defense. The defense does not want the whole free world seeing pictures of tortured kids, murdered kids like it's a horrible thing to have happened and a horrific thing for people to have to look at and that only garners more sympathy for the prosecution, because people get more outraged and more emotional. And, you know, so typically, it, it, you know, that's why in most cases, the defense lawyers are trying to limit the amount of photos that they can show to the jury, how often they show the photos, how long the photos remain up. So, <clears throat> and I don't know if I missed something because Bob keeps up on the facts of these cases way more much more than I do. So I don't know if something came out that I'm unaware of that really, really points to this coming from the defense. I do understand there's this allegation that a PI who used to work for the defense, a former employee, you know, is that all we know to date or do we know more? 
So we know. Okay. Bob's so, like me. He has no life, so he keeps up to date. But go ahead, Allison. <laughs> He's so busy. Um, but the the point being, you know, and this is going to be my complete assumption here, but it could be, if that's accurate, it could be that this former employee is sort of just outraged in his mind thinking, my God, if people could see this, they would understand that they've got the wrong guy. It just, it doesn't check with it being, you know, this defendant, if all of that is what was going on at the crime scene. It just, it's, it's not his, there's nothing in his background, in his, you know, in his past, in his present, or in his electronic evidence that points to him having anything to do with whether it's Odinism or whatever, but something that would result in in him staging the crime scene the way it was or accurately de de depicting what it was meant to depict. So again, sorry for like the roundabout answer. I just don't think it hurts the prosecution. And I do think it hurts the defense. And I would just be shocked if it ended up literally coming from the defense itself. And it's not the defense lawyer's fault if there ended up being somebody who on their own was kind of just outraged, like the truth is hidden in these pictures and they just want the right person looked at or investigated. And, you know, if they did something like that, but I am like, I feel extremely confident that the defense attorneys think it is not in the defendant's best interest that those pictures get released. Uh, that is an interesting theory about uh, someone linked to the defense who leaked them because they thought it would sway people's opinion, thinking that it couldn't possibly be Richard Allen. Um, here's a tale of, of two murders here, or at least two takes, uh, Bob. You've got um, Morgana Raven. Allen is so guilty and probably not his first murder. And then followed by this. Hi, everyone. With all the info coming out about the Delphi murders, I just don't know if I believe he really is the guy who did this. Well, until prosecutor team comes out with the truth. Um, how do you respond to uh, such a divisive uh, audience here? Uh, one half seemingly thinking Richard Allen is guilty of sin. The other half thinking they've got the wrong guy. Well, I mean, I already responded to Morgana. That was the comment that I was referring to who said that he's guilty of sin and all she's basing it on is a PCA that's paper thin. I mean, I, I don't know what else to tell you. Like there, there's like, we have three things. We have a guy who didn't make an admission. Okay. Admissions are where you're admitting something. He made a statement, a voluntary statement, putting himself on the bridge because law enforcement was asking for everybody that was out at the bridge that day to let us know so we can figure out who was there so we can ask you some questions so we can see if you saw anything unusual, all the things that law enforcement always do. And Richard Allen didn't not come forward in a very uncharacteristic move for a murderer. He actually went and put himself at the crime scene. This isn't like somebody going to a funeral of somebody that they killed or somebody lurking back around a crime scene to see what's going on. This is the, the suggestion is that this if, if he's in fact the killer, that he's now placed himself at the crime scene right around when the girls were there. To me, I, I find it hard to believe I've been doing this for 20 years and I've never heard of, of somebody doing that. 
And, you know, I get pushed back from my friends, the prosecutors. Oh, well, people confess all the time. Well, that's in a different circumstance. Yes, people confess when they're in being interrogated by law enforcement for six, eight, 10, 12 hours. And, you know, they're going through psychological warfare. Yes, people cave all the time. This is not that. This was a voluntary statement by somebody that went and sought out a resource officer after he called the tip line and said, hey, you know, you guys were asking for, for people that were out there to, to give you information. If we were out there, well, I, I'm one of those people. So they, they, they placed this resource officer, Dan Doolin, at the market, and he was taking statements from people. And he took one of them, and he took was Richard Allen. So beyond that, so we've got him placing himself there. We've got an unspent casing, uh, which is absolute junk science. I, you've had Mike King on here. I love Mike King. I was on I was on with Mike King when he was on Vinny <coughs> right before CrimeCon. And Mike, you know, I had to kind of dress him down because Vinny asked him, like that unspent casing, Mike, scale of one to 10, one being the weakest, 10 being the strongest. What is it, Mike? And Mike says, Vinny, it's a 10. You know, so then I had to say, Mike, you know, I'm not, I'm definitely not trying to throw you under the bus here, man, but it's not a 10. As a matter of fact, there's not one case in the history of American jurisprudence where they have used an unspent casing being ejected from a weapon as the, the primary piece of evidence to get a conviction. Mike, the next day at Crime County, he's like, Bob, I'm so mad at you. And then I did the research and you were right. So I, look, that is not real science. And beyond that, if you read the PCA carefully, the language always matters. We have to parse things. We have three lawyers here. We know we parse every single word of everything that comes out of every document that we're ever put in front of. And what the, what they say in that PCA is that the subjective opinion of this examiner is that it's a match. That is not law enforcement embracing a conclusion by an expert that is them sticking it in a PCA saying, well, this guy's subjective opinion is that it matches. We're not saying that it does, but he does. And then the final thing that we have, which I think is probably the strongest piece of evidence at this point, which are the recorded confessions of Richard Allen to his wife and his mother on these jail calls. Now the defense has put forth the concept, which they couldn't prove in the memo, and they, they were very sneaky about the way that they phrased it in the memo. I, I wish that they wouldn't have done that either, because the premise behind what they were saying is an absolute possibility, because anybody that has defended anybody in a major case like this, as Allison and I have, people in prison, and, and make no mistake, that is where Richard Allen is being housed. He's not being housed in a county jail. He's being housed in a prison you know, the house of pain there in Indiana, Westville is where the the worst of the worst go there. For anybody to think that, that the guards do not harass, psychologically abuse these guys, I've got news for you. They do constantly. It happens all the time. And when they add in the Odin angle, which now has been substantiated, the state put out their 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 affidavits and they 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 had to cop to it. They knew, they, like they said, yeah, these guys did have the Odin patches. So we know that those two guards did, in fact, have Odin patches. Were they connected to these other guys? I don't know. But it's an awful big coincidence. And it's not that big of a logical leap to think that if they're somehow connected or somehow practicing within the same realm as these guys, and I don't think it's, like, organized like that. You know, I don't, I don't think that there's a church that they're all going to on whatever day – 
Norse pagans, you know, go to commune. I, I don't necessarily think that that's the case. However, there could be a small community of these guys. And if these guys know those guys and these guys are aware of something and they're like, hey, you know, like it's not beyond the scope of reason that they, they squeezed Alan and said, look, man, you know, you're going to have to confess to this or your family, dad, period. It's like, it's, it's not that hard to believe because who's going to believe a guy who's about to be a convicted murderer? Are they going to believe prison guards? Or are they going to believe Richard Allen when it comes down to a credibility weight? It, it, like, so it, it's not, so those are the three things that we have on Richard Allen. And as John has said, that is a far cry from being anywhere near reasonable doubt, beyond a reasonable doubt. It just is. So what I'm suggesting, again, none of us want this to go unsolved. What I'm suggesting is there's enough out there to where I have serious doubts as to why they stopped investigating this angle. I just don't understand why other than three cops who decided to keep investigating it, decided to take a left turn and abandon it all together and then allowed to go five years cold, you know, and now we find out that they are now they they've re-interviewed as of August 23rd, three of these guys is the investigation reopen or isn't it? Let's get some transparency at this point. The girls families deserve it. And if they're going to, to relook at it, we should all applaud that we want the right guys convicted guy or guys. And if it's not Richard Allen, and if they have evidence against Richard Allen, awesome. Then he goes down. But based on what I've seen and based on what was in that, the, the one thing that gets glossed over in that memo, and then I'll be done, is that they said unequivocally that they've gone through all of Richard Allen's electronics. And you had mentioned that there's no mention or connection with Odinism. What they also mentioned is that there was no connection or link to the, either of the girls, meaning that there was nothing to prove that he somehow drew them out there that day. So that would mean it had to have been completely random. So, I mean, like that was the evidence that I was thinking it was going to have to come to, to fruition for the state to prove this link between Alan and the girls. And, and I don't think that it exists. So. Allison, I got to ask you, and now we're going to get back to this case. When Bob gets home, does he is he so done talking that he doesn't speak at all? Or does he talk nonstop once he's home, too? No, he talks at home, too. <laughs> but he's, all, he's also researching a lot at home. So I'm I'm happy for the times where we're talking. But usually when we're actually talking of late, it's about this kind of stuff anyway. So and you do you put your AirPods in? Um, or do you listen? <laughs> You're forced Never. to listen. Okay, I just wanted Very to get that lawyer, out there. You get good conversation. Yeah. I I offer marital advice. That's why I ask uh, for free. Uh, hey, you must have a line at the door, brother. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, the most important comment of the night. I love John's outfit. Thank you for explaining this. Um, <laughs> this comment can't quite figure this one out. Hardly dared watch this. But in the hope that Defense Diaries was featured, I took the chance. I'm not that ugly. Uh, glad I did. Thank you, Aaron. I hope you will come back and revisit us. Um, so let's switch gears for a minute. I'm getting back to those uh, leaked crime, crime scene photos. But, uh, John, uh, we're hearing Bob talk a lot about Odinism. And what I got to be honest, when he's talking about these prison guards, you know, I start to think maybe did they coerce him? We know uh I would like to think that most corrections officers are on the up and up, but uh, we know we live in reality and that's not always the case. But the state has come out and said that 
murder suspect Richard Allen is safe from prison guards. Um, and these cult killings, uh, the notion of cult killings is basically hogwash. Uh, Bob talked about it. Odin, of course, is a war god in Norse mythology. Um, the defense says that Allen was tased twice by prison guards who were indeed wearing these Odin patches. And their uh, statement is, goes as follows. It is inside of the cold concrete walls of the maximum security unit of this dilapidated reformatory that Richard Allen is being threatened, intimidated, and mentally abused. Um, do you buy this argument that Bob is making that maybe he was in fact compromised by these corrections officers and basically threatened to confess? Otherwise, maybe his family would be hurt. Is that in your mind, is that just uh, too out there? Too out there, or is it a feasible possibility? A hundred percent feasible possibility. For starters, have you seen Richard Allen? Have you seen the before and after photo of Richard Allen? Like something's going on with this guy, whether it's stress or something far worse. While he's uh, pre-trial in prison, is evident by looking at him. Number one. Number two. Certainly, if there's anything to this Odinism connection, and how bizarre, like, like sidebar, how bizarre is a state employee allowed to uh, project disaffiliation inside a prison to begin with? Like, to me, that's bizarre. I'm surprised they were allowed to get away with it. I'm equally surprised that the, the district attorney's office had to go, oh, yeah, uh, it's on there, uh-huh, but, but it has nothing to do. No, no, no. They're treating him just fine. Sure. They're cultists. Oh, I don't know. Maybe they kill chickens and drink the blood. Who knows? But it has not. But Richard Allen is OK. Uh, so I find that hard to believe. And number three, this is something that I wanted to say, Bob, when you were speaking very eloquently about what is going on in there. And I know and, and I mean that. Think about let's fast forward for a minute. Let's suppose that there is some there there for this coerced con confession because the, the Odinist uh, COs are behind me going, ah, you got to do it. Well, the only way that I see to prove that if you're the defense team is now you got to put your client on the stand. Well, we hate doing that. We hate it. But I don't know another way around it. He's going to have to be the guy to say they were behind me. This is what they did. They, you know, they threatened. They did that. And now he's fair game for everything else. So it really cuts both, both ways if you think in terms of what's going to happen at the trial with this. But is it, to get back to your question, is it feasible? You betcha. Mm. Uh, Robin Ray here, uh, Allison, for you, what would be the remedy, the cure, if you will, for the Lee crime scene picks? We're jumping around, I know, uh, that murder sheet the podcast got, and somehow uh, it's from a former employee in defense offices, question mark. But is there some sort of fix or remedy now that it's already out there, or is the uh, horse left the proverbial barn? I mean, I don't think there's any remedy for it existing in the world, but the only remedy I would see, and again, I mean, Bob spoke to, if it was really directly the lawyers that did it, the, you know, is there some possible way that they would remove one of the lawyers from the case? E extreme, especially in a situation where, as Jonah aptly pointed out, well, I guess both of you did, it's a drip and it didn't go very far. So, but you know, they can hold a lawyer in contempt for violating a court order. I just, I honestly, I don't think it affects the prosecution at all. Like it's, so there doesn't need to be a remedy from that standpoint. Like 
that was unfair to the prosecution. So here's what happens. But if they decide the lawyers did something improper, there's contempt of court. And there's also reporting to the disciplinary commissions. Um, <clears throat> you know, but as far as the case itself, you know, it's not it's not like the situation where the prosecution withholds evidence or the defense withholds evidence and you need a case wide remedy. You know, and, and I just want to say, even though it's it's off topic to your question, and I'm going to speak for Bob and I just because I feel like I can on this. But, um, you know, like we are just, you know, yes, we're defense attorneys, but we're not just like defending Richard Allen and saying it can't be him. It couldn't be him. We're saying like, hello, there is a lot of issues here. And, you know, people tend to jump to, you know, guilty. Like I'm always, you know, probably the, you know, more extreme of when I say innocent until proving guilty, really innocent. That doesn't mean my eyes aren't open to actual evidence that establishes guilt later on. It's just too soon. And with these recordings, what we don't know is what they sound like, what he sounded like, what the context was. That's going to answer a lot. And the way I have been handling these confessions is that they don't exist until I hear them, because that's going to that that might tell you a lot about, you know, you, you can just hear in someone's voice, like if they're genuinely confessing to their wife, this horrible thing that they did, or they sound out of sorts, or if it's, you know, if it's, you know, more like, you know, they're telling me I killed the girls. I killed the girls. Oh my God. I don't even remember it, but I killed the girls. You know, I have no idea what it is. So as of now, until I hear it, they don't, they don't exist. Uh, Dom's mom, 725, maybe a stupid question, uh, never a stupid question, uh, but have they done, and Bob, this is for you, a voice test. This came up in the last show, by the way, uh, tested Richard Allen, uh, his voice. Obviously, you hear the words uh, girls down the hill uh, and it's, see uh, if it sounds the same. By the way, uh, Mandy Ray. Who's, who's that? That's <laughs> for TV beckoning. Uh, oh, there you go. Uh, quick answer here, Bob, about the voice. But this is why Bob Mata is my all-time favorite commentator. Tell it, but that could go for Allison, too. Right. Uh, Bob Mata, what about the voice? Have they done any sort of analysis? Not that I'm aware of. And, and frankly, with as degraded as that sound is from that that audio, I don't know that anything would be admissible in court. Um, it, it, like I would imagine that with AI, that they could probably enhance it to some degree. But, you know, the other thing, <laughs> the other thing you have to to overcome is the defense saying, I, I'm not letting my guy speak to you. You know, they'd have to try to find some kind of sound from Richard Allen. You know, I mean, there's I'm not aware that they've done any kind of voice comparisons, um, you know, but like to me, that would be about the same as bite mark comparisons and hair comparisons. But back in the you know, from back in the day, which are junk science at this point. I mean, you, you can't convict people on that kind of stuff. You and know, I know Bob needs to leave. Do you want me to finish answering this question for you? Cause I look at that wife coming to his defense. <laughs> Bob, Bob, you're awesome. Appreciate you coming on. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, Joe. But I do want to, I do want to answer more Tell about Vinny the voice. We send our love. See you oh, yeah. later, Bob. I'm
question you out of here. Go ahead, Allison. Typically with voice, you, you get someone who knows the person. That's how they, they get in voice identifications. Um, I know him. I'm familiar with his voice. I've heard it you know, on the phone. I've heard it in person, you know, whatever the case may be. And I just think when you think about this situation here, this is an audio that is aired over and over again to the public. I am certain every single person almost a vast majority of the people that live in that area listened to that intently trying to see, is this someone that I know? Have I heard this voice before? I think that speaks volumes to the best, you know, to whether or not there's going to be any evidence that that voice is Alan's voice. But again, as Bob said, it's, it's deteriorated, you know, and I don't know that I would, I would uh, trust an enhancement. But again, it, it's typically voice identification is by someone who's familiar with the voice, not by someone who's never spoken to the person comparing two voices. Uh, so we're going back and forth a little bit between the uh, leaked crime scene photos and then this issue of whether or not Richard Allen was set up by Odinist in jail. By the way, Lorna McKenzie says both Ann Burgess and Dr. Gary Bricado, who've been best guest on our show, think they have the wrong person. I did not know that, but I'm going to reach out to good old Dr. Ann, who signed a book that we're going to give out as a giveaway. Um, I'll reach out to her and uh, Gary, who I had a nice chat with at CrimeCon, and see if they want to come on to discuss this. I'd be very interested to hear why they think they have the wrong person, if in fact that's what they're saying. But um, John uh, Tiff Knox, by the way, here says, uh, I'm hoping they have a shit ton of DNA that we don't know about. Catch up, friend of the show. Uh, how do you just come up with something like that out of thin air? There's so much mystery shrouding this case, justice for Abby and Libby, uh, and on and on we go here. Uh, the state's response um, about this Odinist allegation, Jana, and particularly the corrections officers, they call the recent claims, quote unquote, unfounded, saying the defense, quote unquote, continues to make unfounded accusations supported by absolutely no proof that prison guards are part of a cult that has been targeting Allen in prison. And they point to three sworn affidavits of uh, these members of the Westville Correctional Facility, their employees. Um, they say that Gallipo, one of the corrections officers affidavit, quote unquote, ensures that no one in command had an agenda related to Odinism or ever ordered anyone under their command to harass or threaten the defendant. Is that enough to, to buy it? You know, when you're in a prison setting and, and you're accusing the COs of doing something untoward isn't, and the COs come out and go, we're not doing anything wrong. Is that kind of like the fox guarding the hen house? How on earth? As an inmate, are you really going to prove, unless they're doing it to a lot of other inmates and there are a lot of other inmates that are willing to come forward? And and like like you mentioned, you know, sometimes when you have to pit the credibility of an inmate against the, the credibility of any state employee, you tend to, you know, you start with less credibility when you're the one behind the bars, you know, and not voluntarily. So it's really hard. It is going to be difficult to prove. And maybe the defense will never be able to, quote unquote, prove it, but maybe they won't have to. Maybe there will be enough, uh, you know, that they can surmise or put to a jury where a jury's going to go, hmm, could be. And if it could be, does that give me reasonable doubt? And if it gives them reasonable doubt, 
then they don't convict. Maybe that's where they're going as opposed to a trial within a trial where they're going to, you know, put North on the stand or whatever they're going to do. I don't know much about this Odinism cult at all. So, but, but maybe where they're going is just the reasonable doubt angle and not proving another theory, another killer did this. We had Rick Allen Ross on who's probably the most preeminent cult expert uh, in the world and said that, uh, didn't appear to him to be the the uh, doings of a cult, but um, then again, he hasn't seen the crime photos. Maybe he has now because they're leaked. Who knows? Phoebe Beach says uh, Richard Allen admitted he was on the bridge that day wearing the same thing. Allison, I'm going to toss this to you, followed by Nancy Drew. Why would Richard Allen confess? Uh, can you just talk more broadly? I mean, he says he was on the bridge. Uh, but Can we talk more broadly about why? Um, people who become suspects and then ultimately are uh, indicted sometimes confess, even though we've seen in the past, they're not always guilty. Why is that? I mean, that is an, uh, a, a any number of things. It can, be, <laughs> it can be pressure from the police. Um, it can be like, you know, typically you see false confessions coming from, you know, uh, being held in the police station over a period of time for a long period of time, you know, not being given anything to, you know, being kept awake in this situation where you're talking about confessing on the phone to his wife after. So while he's not in, in custody with the police, as opposed to detained in the jail or, or here in the prison, you know, sometimes you have people who, you know, like they start to think, Maybe they actually did do it. And so it, it comes out more as a, you know, like they're insisting I did it. How could I have done this? I can't believe I did this, um, you know, type of thing. Or in the situation we we're talking about here where somebody is pressuring him, like if you don't confess, you know, you're getting beaten in the jail or something happening to your family. I mean, all of those are, are you know, definite possibilities as far as, you know, he, him, him saying that he was, you know, wearing what he was wearing. I and mean, I, I just don't know enough. I don't know. You know, I obviously always assumed that that bridge guy recording was the actual guy, but you know, until we hear it and know where the words were in conjunction to the person, you know, I, I don't know how it's not something like, you know, Hey, watch out girls down the hill. Like, or don't fall, girls, down the hill. I mean, I, I don't know because I haven't heard it, you know? So, I, you know, I, I just think there's a lot of reasons why he, you could confess and not have done it. But again, like, I'm not saying that's what happened because I'm literally it doesn't exist because I haven't heard it yet. And when I hear it, I'll have a much more, whether it's just like my own gut, you know, feeling about it, um, you know, and then it, and then it might require, you know, some explanation or evidence. And as John has said, it would, um, you know, if, if that's the case and it sounds like an actual genuine confession, he might have to take the stand to explain why he would have said that when he didn't. And that's something, you know, all no lawyer wants to, you know, wants to have to do. But in, in this day and age, if you really pressure the jurors during voir dire, during questioning before you put them on, you will get a lot of them to admit when it's not the judge just get it, getting them to just say yes to whatever he says. 
that they really do want to hear from the defendant. And if they don't, they might very well hold it against him. And a lot of times people won't admit it because the way the question is brought to them, it's like they can clearly tell their answer is supposed to be, oh, no, I, I don't, I'm not going to hold it against the defendant. But when I press and I ask it different ways, people, you know, in your heart of heart, are you going to, is that going to be something, an issue for you if you don't hear from the defendant telling you he didn't do it or explaining his conduct? And a lot of people say yes. So, um, but still, we don't want to do it. <laughs> Joe, can I just expand on what Allison's saying there for a minute? Often, often. Because I th- and you're, she's 100% right, Allison, you're 100% right. And I think the reason why jurors want to hear from the defendant is because they run through their own filter. Well, if it were me and I didn't do it, I would take this. I would let everybody know. I would be, you know, screaming from the rooftops because they run it through their own personal filter without most of them not being lawyers and understanding the significance of keeping your mouth shut doesn't mean that you're guilty, right? It could keep you from being found guilty when you're actually innocent. So I think that's the, if we're going to call it a phenomenon, that's the phenomenon why jurors do almost always want to hear from the defendant. Interesting. Uh, Anna Lissette here says the arrest of Richard Allen gave permission for the social media world to hate him. He's a family man with no known criminal past. What if he's innocent? Plenty of time to hate if there's a conviction. This brings up an interesting point. I mean, you could sort of say the same uh, with a lot of high profile cases. Uh, and I'm not saying anyone is innocent or guilty either way. Uh, but there was, you know, a, a social media a firestorm, obviously, with Brian Koberger in Idaho. But, John, kind of macro-wise, what what is social media and the advent of, you know, technology done to the, to the, to the legal game, if you will? Um, because it's so hard to keep things, you know, quiet now. Now it's, you know, the, these – it used to be a newspaper might get these crime scene photos and publish it. It was in a single newspaper. Now it's literally everywhere. It's ubiquitous instantly. So what has that done to the game? It's really changed the game. And I want to say my first reaction is it's ruined it. But then I remembered – the Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard case. <laughs> and in that case, it didn't, re- like Johnny Depp prevailed because social, I, mean, I think it helped him. But in this day and age, because of social media, because we live in this digital age, it has created uh, people who want their 15 minutes of fame. It's created people who want to get on a jury so they can write a book. It's created people like uh, potentially the clerk in the Murdoch case, uh, you know, writing her book and now getting herself in trouble and perhaps uh, upending that conviction. So it, depending on who you are in this social media realm, it completely changes the game. Gone are the days where, you know, if somebody wanted to leak something or provide inside information, they had to get on a horse and go meet you at the saloon and whisper it in your ear. And that, you know, and that's how it was done. We're, we're so beyond that. And we're never going back. It, it, to me, sometimes it begs the question, should we change? Should we change some of the rules of the game since the game itself has changed? And that, you know, should we have professional jurors, for example? These are topic for another day, but but it's a total game changer. Not always yeah. good, but not always bad. By the way, that's what I wanted to be when I was a little girl before I realized that that wasn't really a job. Just a little I, girl? I, or no, I wanted, work. <laughs> I wanted to be a juror. Uh, who, who doesn't? I don't. Yeah, want to. Right. 
<laughs> um, that's, why he, that's why he became a lawyer. Uh, Eden here says, or Eden, uh, we don't know if Richard Allen is guilty or not guilty. That's the only fact. I don't care for the court of public opinion. Uh, unfortunately, everyone's got one of these now and uh, cell phone. And you, uh, I don't know, you get bombarded, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever it is, uh, people are seeing those photos. And to that point, Jonna, um, Kevin Greenlee, the host of this podcast, Murder Sheet, who uh, claims to have been sent these photos specifically, uh, says in a quote here, anybody who wanted to could copy the photos and do anything they want with them, including emailing the family members or doing other harassing things. And in addition to the pain it would cause the family members, it would also potentially infringe upon Richard Allen's rights because people seeing these pictures could get inflamed with anger and passion, and that could potentially taint the jury pool. What does happen to the jury pool? It's already happened, uh, even though the jury hasn't been selected as a result of these leaked photos. Well, yeah, that's really going to depend because in any trial, whether there's leaked photos or not, you have to really question your juror and voir dire your juror as to whether they hold any prejudice, whether they can be fair and impartial. You go through the whole litany. And, and to get back to our previous question, in this day and age, another thing that social media has done is there's nowhere you can move on this planet and get a fair and impartial juror because people don't live under rocks, right? They live at the, they have a phone in the palm of their hand almost all the time. So it's not even like you can get change of venue, for example, and have nobody ever heard of a particular case. So it's really going to come down to picking jurors who genuinely can be fair and impartial and not just claim they're being fair and impartial, which again ties into our previous question, because if you think you're gonna make a buck being on a juror in a high profile case, whether you're getting interviews or writing a book or starring in the movie, whatever's gonna happen to you, you're gonna say you're gonna be fair and impartial. That doesn't mean you're gonna be fair and impartial. And that is one of the scariest things about being an attorney in this digital age. Like I said, I love, media. I love digital. I love all that. And at the same time, sometimes it's very uh, difficult to navigate that when you're defending somebody, especially somebody who everybody wants to convict, but maybe there isn't a whole lot of evidence to do it like Richard Allen so far. Yeah. It's like uh, walking a, a minefield. Fox 59 in Indianapolis, um, they, they reviewed Facebook posts between the two people, allegedly the leaker of these photos and someone else. And it's just interesting. I'm not going to bore you with all the details, but one of the message from a person in Indiana writes, defense just got girls, phone records. They're saying that there's stuff that's good for Rick, Richard Allen. Um, in another uh, post, they say a fair fight is going on. Uh, someone else says, uh, referring to my guy, um, and he's going to be with Andy tonight. He was talking about me going down Saturday. And there's all this like innuendo uh, related to uh, Richard Allen and uh, his presumed innocence here. But what Bob talked about, Allison, but sort of glossed over is that the alleged leaker here reportedly has committed suicide or someone tied to the leaker, closely tied. Um, and that. I don't know, is kind of an insane uh, revelation. Uh, so, this person often, here. Sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to read this comment. It's a, uh, they write, it's just a tiny bit suspicious that the actual leaker, we don't know if it was supposedly unalived himself. I mean, that's uh, that's no small thing. 
-hmm. No. And, and uh, again, pure supposition. This is my gut instinct. When I hear that, it goes right back to what I said before. This weighed heavily on somebody who thinks they've got the wrong, he, he thinks for whatever reason, something, and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that it's, showing the crime scene photos is going to establish it's the wrong guy, go investigate someone else. And in my mind, I think here's a guy who was ready to kill himself. And this was weighing on him so much that he wanted to put it out there before he died, as opposed to assuming they're all tied together. Now, you know, could it be some different conspiracy thing that like, you know, I'm, I'm sure it, it opens the doors for a whole conspiracy theory, but that's my like initial take on it, which I, and I didn't realize that Bob had mentioned that, but it, it feeds, it goes in line with what I had said earlier about that being the possible, you know, motivating factor for someone releasing it. And John, did you have any uh, further thoughts on that? I mean, that's a pretty big deal to take your own life. It seems like whoever this person is was racked with a you know a immense guilt but uh any any thoughts about why this person would ultimately take their own life and and purely supposition too but my mind immediately goes to who offed him like who, right. who did he mm. piss off and who right. that was the conspiracy <laughs> right yeah so i don't know if it, it was a, an actual suicide but uh i i, I have no idea you sound like my mom now, ever paranoid, uh, the Holocaust survivor. Look, I mean, look at uh, Jeffrey Epstein. So that's a good point. I wasn't even thinking that, but um, that is a possibility as well. And, and um, that's where I that's where I was saying, like, you could have a, a wider conspiracy thought thinking that this guy is trying to reveal something that the powers that be are trying to hide. The same powers that be that are trying to make this about Richard Allen and not reveal all these other truths in the background you know, could have, could have often, I mean, that, that, that's the, yeah. so I can see where obviously she's going with that thinking. John, do you feel like reality is stranger than fiction, especially when it comes to these true crime cases? Oh, oftentimes. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Sometimes you say you can't make this up and it's, and it's somebody's reality. That's the sad part, but yeah, definitely stranger than fiction more yeah. often than not. And John, Nancy Drew, if I were Richard Allen, I'd be taking a polygraph. If you were his defense attorney, would you ever allow that? No, no. I would take a baseball bat to the polygraph machine. You just don't want to do that. It's useless. I mean, you know, yeah. Does it help when you can say, oh, my client passed a polygraph? Yes and no, because it's not ever going to be admitted in at a trial. And more often than not, you flunk polygraphs, even when you shouldn't be flunking polygraphs. So no, no polygraph if you were my client. And, and just to, to follow up on that, years ago, actually almost 20 years ago, Bob and I had a polygraph guy come in to give a polygraph to a witness of ours who was recanting testimony in a post-conviction issue, blah, 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 because it law enforcement likes it. So we have our private guy coming in because if he passes a lie detector, we tell them, hey, and by the way, he passed. But we obviously want to see what's going to happen before he goes. In any event, the guy puts it on us to try. So I could very easily convince it I was lying when I was telling the truth. I couldn't convince it I was telling the truth when I was lying. But I mean, that's, that's the bigger issue is that failing it is essentially meaningless. 
although passing it speaks volumes. Mm, Sometimes. I mean, there's obviously flaws either way. I'm just saying I, I got like, you know, made myself feel nervous in my own head and body. Like when I answered questions and it shows, you know, that, that, that those are lies, you know, so that's, it's, it can be any number of things that make it show a false. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if someone asked me to take a lie detector test, I'm immediately failing. So I'm getting nervous no matter what. Um, Lorna McKenzie says, uh, and again here, John, we, we kind of, talked about this earlier, but uh, from your perspective, why did he confess um, to his wife if he did it? Uh, That seems to be the big stumbling block in his innocence. What say you? Well, and again, we don't know if that quote unquote confession was coerced. We don't know whether there was some other reason for him to, you know, was he nervous? Some people actually, and this has happened historically, where You've been banged over the head, figuratively speaking, so much by the process. You know, you're sitting in prison. You're accused of two heinous, absolutely unspeakable crimes. You don't really know which way is up. Your head isn't working right. And you might actually say, maybe I did do it, but you didn't do it. So false false confessions are a thing, and they have been known to overturn conviction. So could this be that, or could it have been completely coerced? or it could be a true confession, that's going to be left to the jury somewhere down the road. But it doesn't necessarily mean that he or anybody in that position actually did it just because you confess. Uh, here we go again, showing the uh, split nature of STS Nation. Uh, Sherlock Kendra T.C. Gott, that's a long name. I have followed this case deeply from day one. Richard Allen did not do this followed directly by Michael. Richard Allen already confessed to his wife and other people. That means in my book, he's guilty. So uh, the uh, STS Nation community um, split right down the middle here, I think, and I'll probably get hate mail from both sides. Um, Allison, uh, there's going to be a hearing October 19th. That's two days time. Do we know what that is about, um, what we're expecting there? So I did know what that was about because I looked at the the order, but I don't remember anymore because I've also had my like actual real clients work so that I've been doing. But I think that it was to set a hearing date. If I, if I remember correctly, yeah, they're, they're um, from my notes, they're discussing an other upcoming hearing on Halloween right. day, October 31st. Right. So, uh, so correct. What they're doing is talking about how that's going to go down, what the parameters are, what the judge, you know, so so sort of house cleaning issues before they go to that hearing um, is what they're doing. And, and do you know anything about this? Uh, there's been some reports that a clerical error um, could be the reason that took so long to arrest uh, Jonna shaking her head. No. What, what are you saying, Jonna? Uh, it's bullshit is what I'm saying. <laughs> because I did read up on that. And apparently, cause that was my question too. Like yeah. if you've got, a, a bullet forensics and you've got the picture of him on one of the victim's phones. Like wh- why five years? Why five years between that and, and the arrest? And the excuse is there was a quote unquote clerical error in that some of the evidence literally was placed in the wrong spot. I don't know if it's in the wrong spot in the evidence locker. I don't know if it's the wrong spot on the computer, some wrong spot. And Oh, lo and behold, 
Nobody knew it existed again for five years till they reopened this case and they magically dug it out. And here we are. Let's arrest Richard Allen. It's bull. So I, I don't think it happened that way. There must be something else that was going on behind the scenes. And if it was a clerical error that resulted in somebody who's eventually going to get convicted of killing two innocent children, then a lot of heads better roll because somebody or some bodies deserve to get fired. And how, how many clerical errors have happened in the last five years? Is it just this one? Just this one murderer got away with it, if that's what's going to end up happening. So no, don't listen to that. If I'm getting in trouble, I'm hiring Jonna. Um, no offense <laughs> to Bob or Allison, but I'm hiring Jonna. Uh, Richard, <laughs> uh, Richard is being tormented in there. I can't afford all three of you. Uh, he's not even been to trial, and he's being held in prison. Um, why is he, Allison, in prison and not jail like most defendants as they await trial? So only because the county, local county jail said that they didn't really have the manpower to get him to and from court and they needed to, they needed a bigger facility to sort of take over. And there was a lot of protection that was going to need to happen, you know, and I think it all a lot of, a lot of bullshit. And, and, and especially because there's another county jail that said, Hey, we will take him, you know, we'll, we'll take him. Mm. So I don't, I don't know to tell you the truth. I, I, you know, I find it outrageous that the judge wouldn't get him out of prison. And in with all of this, oh, she he's safe. You know what? What if he's not? What is the downside to taking someone who's not supposed to be in prison and putting him back into a county jail that has said we are equipped to handle him and we can get him to and from court safely? It's like, uh, to me, that kind of judicial determination just it 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 just shocks me i i find it like she didn't put any thought in it joel can i can i start my own conspiracy theory on your show please do i'd love okay, that good. here's my here's my conspiracy theory the reason why he's in prison and not in a county jail which i agree is completely unusual and i love this question because i didn't know is because they don't have any odinisms in county jail all the odinisms are in the prison and that there's your th there's my theory. That's my conspiracy theory. So it, it ties right into that. That Odinism is you know got something to do with this justice yeah. delay. And right, right to your point, Elf has given us a super sticker because it has been uh, depicted uh, and proven that guards there were allowed to wear patches on their uniforms. These Odin patches. Uh, where uh, where would they draw the line? I mean. The this line should have been drawn long before Odin patches. That's for sure. It's so, I mean, when it's just so bizarre, everything we're talking about, I mean, the fact that this cult issue is being brought in, mm -hmm. the fact that he's in a state prison and not a county jail, which is, I've never heard of that, um, where a defendant um, is in a, in a state prison awaiting trial. Patricia Burns, I haven't read this yet, but I'll read it on. Uh, air here. Odin is 400 years ago. We're probably into a bit of sacrifice and sh such things, but it's silly to think that contemporary Odinists are doing that. Who knows? There's so a lot of just to speak to that, uh -huh. uh, you know, like I don't necessarily believe like the, the whole it's a cult who sacrificed him. I, I don't believe it's necessarily like a cult, okay? But I do believe that the people who committed the murders are 
Odinists, meaning they had knowledge of Odinism. They did things that that speak to Odinism. But I don't think it's like if you were to call it like an, a, a recognized religion, this would be people who are, you know, way off of whatever the original Odinism was. I mean, I think any anybody who is practicing something from the times of Vikings are surely not practicing it the same way that they were back then. But I don't, you know, I don't mean to say that, that this was the act of the cult, but this is the act of people who have these beliefs or, you know, whatever their driving force was for the crime there. They definitely had knowledge of Odinism based on based on at least what they are saying that the crime scene spoke to. And if not Odinism, some sort of ritualistic aspect like Jonna had, had spoken about earlier, all the things that were done and the, the, you know, the blood on the tree, the blood on the twigs, the bodies, one not having blood, the changing of clothes. The, these are all things that speak to, you know, uh, someone with a, a very clear, unique um, motivation for murder and, you know, psycho, uh, you know, psychological state, you know, like this is, this is someone who holds very certain beliefs and is motivated, motivated by certain things, not just a guy who happened upon, you know, two girls and decided to, for this to be like the first murder that they, that they commit. Or, or as somebody who wants to frame the Odinists. Exactly. Right. But Either way, it uh, that knowledge to right. do it. Yeah. Right. Either which way you go, it deepens the mystery. That is for sure. Amanda, the Yahoo says, uh, giving us a $10 super sticker. Thank you. Look at this. Nancy Drew, addicted to STS. I would say better to be addicted to STS and crack cocaine. Just ask FBI agent Scott Duffy, who was in the narcotics unit. Or Phil Ramos, detective from uh, Las Vegas, who is also undercover narcotics. Um, McSpunky here. I love this. Odin commands you to hit the like button. Please do that. It gets the algorithm chugging. One last thing here, then we'll get final thoughts. Um, Jonna, so these two defense attorneys, Andrew Baldwin and Bradley Rossi, have both been kind of in the hot seat with the judge. Last December, they released a three-page press release. Uh, that annoyed the judge. He then, or she then, the judge issued a gag order this uh, past spring. Um, it was an inadvertent leak of discovery evidence that popped up on social media. In September, they put out that 136-page um, memo and also said that the uh, defense was withholding evidence. We talked about this a little bit. I mean, is this just defense lawyers posturing and doing what they need to do and uh i don't know messing with the court's head a little bit or is this overboard in your opinion uh i think it's a little of both you know to me it seems like style right i mean they could have an abiding conviction in the truth that their client is completely 100 innocent and maybe because what we're not privy to but but allison knows when you're defending somebody, there is so much that goes on behind the scenes. And every conference that you have in judges' chambers and every conference that you have with an assistant district attorney, if you're getting punched in the face, figuratively speaking, and you know which way this case is going and you're not able to negotiate and you're not making any points with the judge, what do you do? 180. Well, if you're not going to listen to reason, okay, 
Here's my 136 page motion. And at least that, you know, at least all the motion work, maybe not the press releases, but the motion work is going to become part of the record on appeal should he get convicted. So smartly wrap all that up in 136 page bow and go for it. Because the worst that is going to happen is your motion's going to be denied. The best that's going to happen is if your client's convicted, you now all have this in the record when you might not have got it in the record some other way, like a trial. So I think it's very clever. They're getting uh, an A from me for, for, for cleverness. And their style is their style. And if they're going to burn the bridge, then they're going to burn the bridge because the judge don't pay the bills, right? It's the clients who pay the bills. And that's where we get our, our chops. So and it's the jurors who write the checks. If, if that's a good analogy. <laughs> right. Uh, I'll tell you this. SCS Nation is uh, both sides unhappy uh, right now. Uh, those who believe that Richard Allen committed this crime are upset that we're saying that he possibly didn't and uh, vice versa. Uh, Heather, uh, she gifted five surviving the survivor memberships once again, giving credence to best guests, better community. Bonnie Lee Lopez coming to us from Chile, Vermont. I was really upbeat after hearing Carl Steinbeck on the previous show, but listening to this case brought me down. I can't imagine the families of these precious young girls suffering nothing but sadness in the news. By the way, Bonnie Lee Lopez was a nurse in the uh, jail and or prison system. Bonnie, let me know if you've heard of a defendant spending time in a state prison prior to trial. I'd be curious to hear that uh, from you. Meanwhile, um, just want to thank our best guest. Special shout out to Bob Mata, uh, criminal defense attorney handling all sorts of cases, including felony drug cases, DUI, et cetera, et cetera. He's also the host of the popular Defense Diaries podcast. You see that right over Allison's shoulder, husband and wife, Allison and Bob Mata. Bob ditching me for Vinnie Politan. I can't believe I guess I'll allow him to do that. Uh, and then, of course, we've got Allison Mata. She's a partner, same for a uh, firm as her husband, the Chicago criminal defense and Kane County family law firm of Mata and Mata. Uh, she uh, is part of defense diaries and uh, is a working active attorney trying to keep up with all this. Uh, what do you think is next for this case? Obviously we've got the hearing Halloween day, which is sort of fitting. Um, when do you think we, if we do, when do you think this actually goes to trial where hopefully we actually see the real evidence? Oh, that's, a lifetime away as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that's what Bob said. Uh, so what are, what are your final thoughts on this? What would you like to say to our audience who split down the middle here, it seems? Well, what I'd, I'd like to say first is that the, the only thing that matters, whether no matter what people are thinking right now, is that they just fight the urge to think someone is guilty before they have heard all of the evidence. I mean, it, th that is the point that you're getting one side of the evidence. You know, here you've had an introduction of some parts of the other side. I think, you know, it's one thing to say, you know what, the lack of evidence or this new evidence makes me have doubts to someone's guilt. I I'm not prepared to say there's no way that Richard Allen is guilty. And I don't think there, there necessarily should be like that far extreme either. You just have to wait. You have to stay open-minded. You can say, you know what? I'm kind of leaning this way, but just remind yourself, you don't know half of it yet. You don't know a scintilla of it yet. And, 
anyone can say anything. And experts are a dime a dozen for their opinions that may later come out to be just completely worthless. And sometimes even those opinions get allowed into court and the judges say, you know, well, it goes to wait and let the jury decide. So to me, the most important thing is to just stay, you know, open-minded no matter which side of things that you are on and realize you do not know anything yet to make an, a, to make an educated opinion. Well said. Jonas Billboard is a no-nonsense, as you can tell, no BS, outspoken attorney. She does all the television networks, including Fox News Channel, my old employer, the Fox Business Network, other television networks. You'll see her everywhere. She also hosts the award-winning radio show Happy Hour with Jonna and Carol, which airs weekly on K104.7 FM. Your final thoughts today, Jonna, before we say goodbye. Um, okay, quickly. I do want to say this. Defense attorneys, and to, to go along with what Allison said, we are wired to analyze the hell out of everything. Every case we pick apart, every case we look at through our legal lens. And I don't want anybody listening to your show to think that that translates to we don't care about victims. We do. But our lawyer hats compel us to, I don't care whether you're accused of jaywalking or whether you're accused of a double murder. We, we analyze what we analyze because that's what we are trained to do. At the same time, we are all human beings with compassion and heart. And I hope, I hope whether it's Richard Allen or somebody else, that this crime absolutely positively gets solved. This family deserves nothing less. I pray for the two victims in this case. And it is, it is completely sad but from a true crime perspective, this is what this is what we do, and we never lose sight. We never lose sight of the victims. Having said that, I want to end the show on a little bit of a lighter note, switching gears. And I have to say to Allison and Bob, I commend you for working together, living together, being defense attorneys, and not yet killing each other. Good for you. Good for you. I, I have a pleasure to meet you both tonight. Even though Pleasure to meet you as well. It's <laughs> funny, my uh, my lovely mom, my dad just passed away, sadly, but my mom and dad were married for 63 plus years and they had a uh, family therapy practice together. My mother's a social, social worker, my dad is a psychiatrist, so they worked together too. And uh, there wasn't a day where my mom didn't yell at my dad, but uh, <laughs> as she said to me, it went in, she's yelling at me right there, went uh in one ear and out the other. Um, quick programming note, and then Space Coast is going to lead us out with our uh, goodbye here. But uh, quick programming note, whew, double show today. Tomorrow, 7 p.m. Eastern time, call her to come back. She is coming back right there. Karma's in the house for Barry and Suzanne Morphew. We're going to have Lauren Scharf on, the reporter who interviewed Barry Morphew, and uh, get her insight about her coverage of that troubling case. And then Thursday, we've got... While Idaho Slept by J. Uh, Ruben Appleman, the author of that book, will be on here. Some people say he's controversial. We're going to talk to him and find out. And then Friday, it's Great Scott, your true crime Phil with Scott Duffy and America's most respected detective, Phil Waters. Until then, love you, America. Love you, Chicago. Love you, New York. By the way, Jonna and Allison and Bob, I see that fireplace behind Jonna. It dropped to a very chilly 76 in Miami today. So oh, stop when, it. <laughs> when it gets too cold there, 
come visit. But love you all. Until then, see you next time. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.